welcome to Recast, presented by the Baptist Union of Scotland. Each episode will look at a key issue of mission or discipleship for church leaders in Scotland. We will be bringing you key voices, practical insights and unique stories, all focused on the church in Scotland. Welcome to the Recast. My name is Glenn Innes and I'm delighted to be here again with Lisa. Hello everybody. It's been a while since we recorded one of these, uh, but we have managed to uh, get a couple in for you before the end of the year. Um, we're going to be talking about mission and church planting and the future of the church over the course of these next couple of episodes. Wow, and we... that's a lot to get through, isn't it? In two episodes. Oh yeah, two episodes. It'll be a doddle. We'll just sort it all out. It'll be absolutely fine. No problem at all. Especially because we've got some super smart guests, but we'll get to them in a wee minute. Lisa, talking about super smart people and all the sorts of things, uh, your husband uh, and you moved house uh, recently. You are now based here in uh, our beautiful Scotland. I am. We are, at last, yes. after a, a, a year and a bit kind of semi-commute but um yeah I mean moving house oh my gosh it is an overwhelming experience um especially moving from Yorkshire and the English system to Scotland and a Scottish system um which I must definitely say is much preferable to the English one um so yeah well, we've won isn't that just a general state no we shouldn't go down that route no 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 carry on down that route. <laughs> I was just... anyway so yeah so we have uh, we've landed in Gartmoor uh, oh, is, so where is Gartmoor? It's near Aberthwaite, so the east Ooh. side of the Trussocks National ah. Park. Um, that's the, that's bet... the part of the map where they just draw a big midgey on it, right? That's the. Well, yeah, you know what? I think I've even got bites, and it's November, right? So, <laughs> what is that all about? But no, I mean it's really exciting, and we haven't moved for over twenty years, and um, just kind of thinking about. Oh, so many, so many sermon illustrations for the future, but just what it's like to land in a new community and, you know, you don't know anybody and nobody knows you. And, you know, that thing in Jeremiah about um, building houses, we, we don't actually need to build it. At the moment, it's standing upright, but we do definitely need to decorate it. And we've got a garden for the first time ever in our lives, so we need to learn how to do that. And then praying for the peace and well-being mm. of your community. And it's suddenly like, oh, what does that look like when you're brand new and you know just meeting people for the first time and and thinking what what is this first connection what does that feel like you know the first conversation and especially if they find out that I'm a Baptist minister um it's like oh my goodness you know so it, yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. interesting just thinking well you know we've been praying about where God wants us and here we've landed and what does that look like yeah. I don't really know just yet what that looks like but it's yeah. a really interesting time so you're getting to live out our increased vision piece, right? You're getting to live out oh, this yeah. Jeremiah 29. So yeah. you've gone yeah. to Gartmore, you're building a house, you're planting a garden. Yeah. More and children? Then, please, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's super exciting. And it is really interesting, isn't it? That, that There's a really practical element to that whole passage that we've been talking about mm -hmm. that, that is just... It's a rootedness in a particular mm -hmm. community and a, a mm -hmm. commitment to a space that um, that you've chosen uh, mm -hmm. to go and live there and, and, mm -hmm. and to make your long-term home there regardless of, you know, 
career or whatever. It's like, no, this is where we're going to live and this is the people mm-hmm. we're committed to. That I think says yeah. something about the way that you want to live. So, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting times and it, it's a bit chaotic and there's that whole transition thing and, you know, you're surrounded by boxes and think, why on earth have we brought this with us? Because as soon as you change context, <laughs> some of the things that worked in your previous context don't mm. work in the new one. Yeah. Uh, which I'm sure is a, a parable for something. And uh, so there's lots of lots of interesting conversations and what you let go and what you keep and what's important and what you value. And yeah, I mean, you're going to have all that because you're also packing your house into boxes. Yes, not I am. Quite so far as me. No, we're not moving far. Uh, we are. We're just moving something that we own, which is really exciting and it's just a remarkable sense of God's provision. But what I, what I'm learning right now is that piece of um, times of transition are times of uh, like we just stretch ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. You know that 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 um, there's not a lot of extra capacity typically for those kinds of things and. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure for me at least, and I, I won't talk for anyone else, but for me, it, it it doesn't necessarily lead me to the fruits of the spirit and to joy and peace and patience mm-hmm. and all of those things, but it probably brings out the worst in me and, and trying to find that space where where when we recognize that, that this move is a gift from God mm-hmm. and it, it genuinely is in a remarkable way, mm-hmm. um, and then alongside that, being able to say, well, look, if it's a gift from God, I need to rest in that rather than, than become all tense and stressed and uh, worried it's, about, oh, that's another email from the lawyer and that's a, a, what do you mean I can't get the internet for six weeks and all these kind of things that, that dial up the pressure and then my poor wife ends up being the, yes. the one that takes the brunt of it because you wouldn't dare shout at your lawyer, but uh, your wife, well, occasionally. I know, it's right. It is, it is the reality, isn't it, of, of the challenge of, living living out the life of Jesus but actually in situation which you know is statistically one of the most stressful I definitely had a moment uh, the other day um and I was remembering Francis's Francis Chan's talk at Canopy um mm. about you know being, <laughs> being at peace and thinking oh my goodness um and then I remember particularly his illustration about when you delegate to someone how you feel about it depends on who you've delegated it to and uh, we had we had something that came up with a house move and I just it was just big massive and I just thought well this is just way above my pay grade I I cannot resolve resolve this I can't sort it I can't make it better and it was literally a moment of praying and thinking you know God you can be trusted with this and actually I can now sleep because because I trust you and although the situation would make me feel super anxious it was almost so big that I just thought well, I need to delegate it to someone who's bigger than me and more trustworthy than I am and, and then just rest in that. But you know, some of the small details are harder sometimes than the big things. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, that that kind of overall sense of trust and of uh, trusting that, that the kindness of God uh, and his goodness, that he's for us and not against mm-hmm. us, and, and actually be learning to live that out in these really practical ways and house moves and how we relate to our spouses and um, all of those things is also, you know, it has bigger application mm-hmm. too, you know, like as churches, how are we willing to trust the goodness of God as we uh, take risks? You know, we've talked ad nauseum about this, uh, about our increased vision and 
And the reality is we're asking people to risk things, not Mm -hmm. just to settle in the comfortable space, but to find a space that they can build houses and plant gardens and have children and see new things happen. And, and, And these tensions that we're experiencing in the realities of moving house are the same tensions at some level that churches will will Mm -hmm. encounter and and some of it is remembering that it's worth it uh, Mm -hmm. that that you will have a home with a garden in a place that you want to live and we are going to have our own home in a a community that we're committed to for pretty much the rest of our lives and 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 those good gifts that God is giving us uh, are what's ahead of us Yes, that's and, right. And, and, and yeah, and being stretched actually is life giving as well as challenging. Yeah. Um, and it creates opportunities that wouldn't have been there if you just stayed in your comfort zones either. And you learn stuff, um, build new friendships because you're in a different location. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. Loads of good stuff. And, and actually, our conversation that we're just going to have just now with uh, Neil McMillan from the Free Church of Scotland is. Uh, full of that full Mm -hmm. of this sense of uh uh the challenge of church planting and uh of being faithful followers of jesus and evangelism and all these kind of things and the challenge and the stretch of that and yet one of the things i love from this conversation is this sense of the beauty of the church Mm -hmm. um and so uh we're going to take some time to listen to this next half hour so hope you enjoy this conversation it was really life-giving for us to have this with neil So today we are absolutely delighted that we have Neil McMillan with us. Um, Neil's official title is Church Planting Director of the Free Church of Scotland. And in your spare time, Neil, you're also a pastor of Cornerstone Church in Edinburgh. So um, is that everything about you? Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what makes you tick? What's the heart of Neil McMillan today? Um, Okay, well, I think the heart of Neil McMillan uh beats in in favor of Jesus most of the time so that's where I kind of start in life is uh loving Jesus is kind of what I, I grew up in a really loving warm Christian home where Jesus was the center of everything mm-hmm. and that's kind of stuck with me is how I want to live my life so I am married to Louise she's a counselor and we've got four kids so Jesus, family, how my kids are doing, that kind of stuff matters a lot to me. And also friendships. Yeah. I'm a really social person. And uh, once you make friends with me, I'm really clingy and hard to get rid of. So uh, I have a lot of really great friends that have been my friends over many, many years. And I, I just love to spend time with people. That sounds amazing. I can't decide now whether I want to be your friend or I'm not sure if I want to be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would go on the side of caution with that one so. okay I, i'll work with that so um the spare time is there other things that give you a sense of um i don't know flourishing well-being other things that you do it sounds like your life's pretty well packed already but stuff that's well, life-giving I, to you yeah i run a lot so running's one of the things that i do just to kind of like take my mind off what i'm doing uh, I like hill running, so I like getting out into the Pentland Hills or places mm-hmm. like that. And that takes me away from everything, de-stresses me, um, and just takes me out into the beauty of the world around me. So love to run. I read yeah. a lot of really rubbishy crime novels. So that's kind of how my brain turns itself off, is just 
doing that. Louise and I, Louise is my wife, we like fine dining. Ooh. So you'll if occasionally you'll find us in a posh restaurant mm-hmm. eating things that we don't really know what they are. So, oh, you've got to come up with a recommendation yeah. then. What, what what's the best <laughs> restaurant in Edinburgh? Oh, um, I'm def- definitely a big Martin Wishart fan above all others. So, uh, what if does you can that look like for me? I, I have Wishart. no idea what that means. Oh, it's Michelin star fancy food, right? Surely is. Uh-huh. I'm from Wallenside after all. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Neil, so when you're not uh, living it up at Martin Wisher on a Friday night, um, you're, one of your roles is as uh, the church planting director for the Free Church of Scotland. So, And I know you've got a real passion for church planting. So, I mean, why church planting? Why, why church planting over just regular church or some other kind of mission? Why does that matter? I think that there's sort of like three answers to that. And one is a really personal answer, which is, you know, I, despite living in Morningside now, I grew up in Glasgow um, and came from a very kind of comfortable, warm, happy home. But a lot of the kids I went to school with were kids who had very, very difficult home lives and social circumstances and all the impact of that. And I was always really struggling with the question of, why does the church have so little to say to people uh, who are living in, in that kind of situation? And why is the church so bad at reaching people uh, on the margins, you know, and, and people who are disconnected culturally from church? So I got really interested in politics in my late teens, went to university, studied politics, was quite active politically. This is like back in the far past when there was things like the poll tax and the anti-apartheid movement and so on. So You I can't a lot possibly be that old. I, I, I Genuinely, I'm an authentic pensioner almost. Uh, but, you know, like, so so uni was like blocking the traffic and smash the poll tax and all this and going in marches to London. And, and again, just that sense of I wanted to do something for people who were struggling in life. And then as I sort of followed a call into ministry then, the first place that I went to do ministry was in Kirkcaldy and Fife in a very poor community uh, to replant a church, essentially. And in my denominational setting, the Free Church of Scotland, historically over the last hundred years, it's been quite a highland denomination with very little presence in the central belt and very little presence amongst the urban poor. And I always thought that was something, I'm not a Highlander, you know, I'm not a, I'm not from that world, I'm, I'm a Ouija. And so I just wanted to kind of think about what did ministry look like in the central belt for somebody like me in my denominational setting. So, so that's the personal bit, I think it's just like a heart and a love for people who are far away from Jesus and struggling in life. And then the second thing I think is just like, it's so clear biblically that missions are the very forefront of what the church is for, you know, that we're here to make disciples. And that one of the very clear patterns of mission in the New Testament is to go and plant churches. And that those church plants then plant other churches. So, you know, you see, they reckon in the book of Acts, you know, you look at chapter 13, 14, as Paul is sent out from the Antioch church, 
and he goes to Lystra and Derby and Iconium and places like that. And then he comes back round them and strengthens and encourages them and ordains elders and so on. And, and so there's a sort of ecclesiology, church planting going alongside the, the mission and evangelism. And they think Paul planted around at least 20 churches, mostly in urban centres that would then influence regionally. So I think there's a kind of biblical um, mandate for church planting that the church it would be foolish to ignore. And then I think missiologically, in terms of the practice of mission in our, in our own cultural setting, that church planting helps us to innovate and learn to do church in new ways and to connect with people we're not connecting with. Um, and church planting brings in new people, new generations, new leaders, new resources. And because I'm quite a denominationally sort of minded person, you know, I'm quite embedded in my denomination. I'm really interested in the kind of ecosystem of that, of how new things bring health back into the older churches mm. and the, the existing churches and how that kind of increases the overall health of the denomination. Um, and we are, we're in a setting now where, as far as I can work out, there's at least 2,000 churches have closed in Scotland in the last 20 years. Oh, wow. And we know that the Church of Scotland is about to go through another huge process where up to 40% of their church buildings will close and a lot of their congregations will consolidate. So I genuinely think we're going to be positioned pretty soon in Scotland where there are neighbourhoods, villages, towns, communities where there is no Christian presence whatsoever mm -hmm. in terms of church. And that that's a really compelling challenge for all of us. Like mm -hmm. how, how across the networks and denominations do we collaborate and partner to make sure that everyone in Scotland has a mm -hmm. church nearby where Jesus is loved and honoured and the Bible is taught and the gospel is lived out mm -hmm. and, and, and the love of God is demonstrated in the life of the community. And I think that I find that such a, a great... I think you know such a is how I would put it. So I mean that's just so helpful, Neil. So you got the, the personal bit, the biblical bit, the missiological aspect, and they just all kind of dovetail together perfectly, don't they? And and that picture that you're painting for us, which I think though we're not unaware of, is pretty devastating actually and um could be incredibly discouraging actually. So as you're in your job role as director of the Free Church, how, how are you going about, and I and we hear definitely what you're saying about partnership and doing this together as well, but how are you going about um, engaging with the idea of church planting in terms of how are you doing that strategy and development of people? How does that work yeah. out for you? Good. And if I go on too long and you want to break up what I'm saying, just jump in, you know. All right. Um, I, th I think... So there's so many different strands to 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 what we're all trying to do. And one of them is what I love to call pipeline and you might want to call <laughs> pathways. Um so how do how do we get up the how do we raise up the future leaders? You know, and I, I planted a couple of churches and then in 2009 I came to work for the denomination and I started looking at church planting networks. Uh, Acts 29 was one of the networks I looked at a lot. And then Tim Keller's church planting organization, City to City. And so I was looking at what they were doing, and I was being mentored by some guys involved with those 
movements. And one of the things that was said to me really early on was, you know, make sure that you have a pathway or a pipeline of, of future leaders and church planters. So we really began that work about 10 years ago of trying to identify young leaders and, and then put them in uh, to a, a, a pathway where they would be getting the kind of exposure to church planting, the theological training and the formation that would allow them to become the church planters of the future. So, so that's a big part of what I do is just trying to do that recruitment piece and try to get people in the right place at the right time to plant churches. And that's I mean, gone pretty well. I think I mean, practically Neil, what does that look like? So I, I started a thing called boot camp. And I write to every church in the denomination and say, do you have any gifted young leader, ideally between the age of 17 and 23, um, that we can invest in? And we're looking for young adults who aren't too fixed in their career yet or in their trajectory. And we take them away for a week a year. And the first year we look at um, what's the gospel? How does the gospel change? It's really sort of try to get that deeply embedded into them. Second year we look at leadership and how does the gospel change the way we lead? Third year, we look at um, calling. What's God's calling in your life and how can you equip yourself to pursue that? And we bring a lot of church planters into that process to talk about what they're doing, to share their vision. And some of these guys come on and plant churches. Other people just go on and become part of a church planting launch team. Others never get involved in church planting, but they've just been given a lot of really good, hopefully, insights, skills, development that will allow them to be more fruitful in their local church set setting. So that's one part of what we do. And then the other part is kind of what a lot of churches do is about trying to find students or people in the early stage of career, invite them into ministry apprenticeships in a church, you know, find out what it's like to work in a church setting. And if that goes well, then invite them into kind of training process and to, to a sort of long-term commitment to ministry. So how, how much so that sounds like a really a really good um healthy mix of things that you're investing into people there um what what kind of balance do you think between particularly for church planting between say the training and skills dynamic of it because it is a bit different isn't it than, than being a regular church leader and then the kind of character spiritual formation side of things just to hang in there in situations that i imagine pretty tough at times yeah, I mean, I mean, I think most people can start a church. You know, I don't, I can do it. And anything I can do, you can do better probably. <laughs> so uh, so I, I, a lot of it is about when we we do an assessment for people who are going to, and, and often we're not sort of saying you've got the right skill mix or the wrong skill mix or gifts or, or character, but rather this is who you are under God. And so if you're going to plant a church, these are the kind of people you want to have with you and your team. Mm -hmm. These are the kind of issues that you will face personally that you want to prepare yourself for. So we're really trying to get them to look at who they are and then the kind of church they're going to plant and think that out in a really careful way so that they're as well prepared mm -hmm. as they can be. I mean, in, 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 a, in our denominational setting, we put people through seminary, you know, so we have uh, Edinburgh Theological Seminary and and guys do four years there so it's um on the job kind of training mm -hmm. you know they're working in a local church and they're doing um their theological training once somebody's come out come out of that if they're going to plant a church we have a training tool that we 
called the Urban Incubator that we took off city to city. And that's a two-year process. And by Mm -hmm. this time, usually we're deploying the planter out to the location where they're going to plant the church. And they're, again, getting on-the-job mm-hmm. training of how do you build an evangelistic network? How do you start to do discipleship? How do you plan for launch? How do you prepare leaders? Just going through, you know, mm. prayer life, family life, spiritual mm-hmm. life. So we do a lot of that after seminary as they kind of deploy out to wherever they're going to be planting a church. Mm-hmm. And alongside that, we give them a coach, a church planting coach who will help them think through the challenges. So we've had quite a lot of time to put in place sort of systems to allow the planters to flourish. Because what we really want is healthy church planters planting healthy churches. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I don't want to hear church planters saying this is the most miserable, awful, terrible, (laughs) hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, I just want to hear them saying this is great. I love it. God's so good. And this is a wonderful thing to do, so... Awesome. That sounds really good. I mean, that kind of ongoing support and network is just so important, isn't it, in this whole thing? Yeah, when I planted my first church, I felt incredibly alone. Mm. There was no system of support in place at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I mean, when I say I was clueless, I was genuinely clueless. <laughs> you know, I had no idea what to do. And I'd had no training, no prep, just off you go, son, go and do this. And there was a really lovely old Church of Scotland minister in Kirkcaldy at the time called Brock White. And after I'd been there for maybe six weeks, Brock just pitched up at my door one night and said, oh, I'm Brock, this is what I do, and I want to be your friend kind of thing, you know. And he was just, that was an absolute lifeline to me. Yeah. Somebody who wanted to kind of care for me and look after me and, encourage me in what I was doing so mm. I think cutting down in isolation is really mm-hmm. really important and yeah, we definitely. try and create a lot of peer-to-peer relationships amongst the people who are planting churches so they feel like well connected and they're walking with others who are in the same kind of process mm-hmm. so. brilliant I mean Nick you Nick Neil you've been around <laughs> uh, uh church planting for quite a while in Scotland and I mean have you seen anything change in the way that church planting's been spoken about or done um i guess beyond just the boundaries of what you're doing with the free church yeah i think it's great really i I mean i think the landscape shifted massively you know so um and there's lots of different people planting lots of different kinds of churches in, in in many different ways and i think that's brilliant and healthy so you know there's all the stuff that forge and cairn are doing in scotland now um, the Church of Scotland is starting to look now at kind of church planting uh, more directly. Um, there are the eth- the sort of diaspora ethnic churches and all that they're doing in, the, in planting churches in Scotland. So when, when we started talking about this in Edinburgh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, the general feedback was like, why are we going to plant churches? Because we can't keep the churches we've got and... We just need to kind of hold on to the dying churches and prop them up and plant church planting seems counterintuitive. So I think that's gone, that kind of air of resistance. I think people now understand that church planting is very healthy and very helpful and that it's adding strength to, to the church life in Scotland. And I do think this sort of 
the range of people now who are involved in church planting, the the different philosophies, the different models, the different methods, is all great because you need that kind of diversity because there's so many different groups of people and places uh, that need to be reached and we're not going to do it you know like no one no one group of people are, is going to pull all that off you know it's far too big a task and I think Jesus quite likes the diversity of the church and the fact that we're different parts of the body with different gifts and and that that's part of what he's up to so right and I just I mean kind of on that that diversity and and uh, different kinds of people planting different kinds of churches in different places you know you, you you've got quite a specific model of how you do things within the free church and then you know any other number of people are doing um different sorts of of uh church plants um but we all face the same challenge of evangelism in scotland mm-hmm. and and you know we deal with an increasingly I get, well, actually, I'll ask the question rather than tell you the answer. Like, what? How? What are the challenges around, particularly around evangelism, and 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 uh, and that kind of very explicit form of mission as we go to plant churches? Hmm. Well, it's a really good point. I think we don't plant churches just to plant churches. You know, we plant churches because we want to evangelize and see lost people come and live in faith in Jesus. You know, and and so it's important as we think about church planting that we're not thinking about how do I set up a slightly better church than the guy down the road <laughs> so that I can shift uh, bodies between there and and my new thing. So a lot, I think that one of the challenges is that it takes time then to really figure out a community and the dynamics of a different of different contexts and and how you communicate the good news of Jesus into that particular locality and those group of people. And so that you need it actually needs to be quite a thoughtful process and well well developed and well thought out and and you need an incredible amount of patience because there's very few places I think in Scotland, I mean there are exceptions, but generally you're not seeing lots and lots of new Christians. You're seeing a trickle of new Christians. And so that just takes patience, I think. And that the temptation for the church planter sometimes is to kind of hit the panic button and think, I want this to grow more quickly and be- become viable more quickly. And so I'm just going to try and get lots of Christians to come to this. Mm. And then, And then I think you start to lose your kind of cutting edge in terms of mission you just become a all your energy is going to looking after christians mm. from a bunch of different churches who've landed in your place mm. rather than thinking about who are the non-christians that i want to mm. lead to jesus um can i just I mean, ask a question in that i'm just uh, yeah, what, do you, what do you think i mean i totally agree with you i, I think that's entirely true and it, it it's it's easier that way isn't it really but what what do you what do you see as a the biggest obstacles to people engaging with the gospel just now as you talking with your guys that are yeah. church planting what are the main obstacles that I, 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 it depends where we where we are i think i mean largely you know it's just that people f- feel 
disconnected and indifferent to religion, you know, and that we live in this sort of, you know, secular in the sense of not just, well, secular in the sense of the absence of God, you know, mm. that God doesn't really impinge on life in any way, either emotionally or intellectually. Mm. And, and, and so the idea that somehow there's a need for God or that God should be part of the picture is just alien to most people. It's like, why you know and people might be a little bit spiritual and mm. i think are still pretty spiritual in some ways but not in in the idea of wanting to have some kind of personal connection to uh, a personal god um so there's that whole thing i think of secularism in 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 that sense and then and you know in in many of our communities there's there's just so much chaos going on you know so i know a lot of guys who are working in the housing schemes and guys who've been planting churches with 20 schemes and they would say that their setting is perhaps more open in some ways you know that people are more supernatural they're more direct about talking about religious issues and christian issues mm. but that life for many people is so difficult uh, and that that becomes a really hard road in terms of just connecting well with people mm. in stable and consistent ways over a period of time. And that matters because for most people in, in the UK now, the the period of coming to faith is over years. Mm. You know, it's not it's not a couple of conversations, it's 20, 30, 40 conversations, it's exposure uh, over a long time. And I I do think that the biggest challenge that we face is to show people that the church has something good and worthwhile and that there's a beauty to the church mm. that's missing from the rest of the world. And that means we have to work really hard at church culture and, yeah. and what we understand church to be, mm. and that we have to undo a lot of the negative thinking that people have around church because we have such a bad reputation mm. uh, has been toxic and sometimes that's been a well-earned and well-deserved reputation so so i try to put the you know the 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 beauty of the gospel and and the hope of the coming kingdom on display mm. i think is really the biggest challenge in some ways mm. It's a really positive thing to aim for, though, isn't it? To be able oh, to. It's amazing. That's why that. I love church. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, it's a little breath of the coming kingdom, mm -hmm. isn't it? You know, it's a mm -hmm. foresight of what God has for us. And mm -hmm. uh, if we can give people a glimpse of that, that's quite a compelling, mm -hmm. compelling thing. So. Mm -hmm. Just to go back to the church planting sp piece specifically there, Neil, you, you know, you talked about how it can take a long time for people to come to faith. And we, we would. We want to build our church plants through people coming to faith. So there's a real question about how do you stay sustainable in those kind of intervening years, I guess? And and how are you dealing with that particular challenge with your church plants in the Free Church? So do you mean sustainable financially? Or? Well, fi financially, but also, I mean, you know... The, those are probably the hardest yards when people are putting in all that early work and not necessarily seeing super early fruit that 
that you know that that we're talking about there how so how do you support the the leaders in the midst of that yeah. but also how how are you paying for it all so i think one is about helping them set realistic expectations around what will this look like over the next few years and 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 helping them to sort of be clear about that another i think is just making sure that you're caring well for them and keeping them healthy spiritually and that they're embedded in a community with other people who are doing similar things and that they've got coaches and training that just help them think through what the challenges are um and then financially i suppose we have to kind of set our expectations that it's going to be pretty expensive to get these churches up and running, but hopefully in the long term they become net contributors yeah. to the kingdom and that they become places that resource more good things. Yeah. Um so we I raise a lot of money to do all this yeah. and it's yeah. quite an expensive hobby. But <laughs> um one of the things I'm trying to learn then from other people who are church planting in Scotland is what does bivocational church planting look like or, or involved in forge or care and you know what does it look like just to kind of send people out in missional initiatives and yeah. in, of different kinds that may turn into a church or may not but that's just done as a lay person rather than training somebody for six years and then ordaining them into a denomination and then sort of putting all this resourcing in so i think i i need so we need to learn as lots of different ways of doing things and uh, I think if we one of the great things is that we want to multiply out what we're doing and scale out you know um so that there there's not just dozens but hundreds if not thousands of new things starting yeah. and that means they can't all be costly and slow some need to be smaller and more nimble and more agile and less expensive and yeah. so on but uh so I think a, a, a greater variety is part of what we're going to have to work towards. Brilliant. Yeah, and I mean, certainly for us as a Baptist union and a family of churches, that that feels like perhaps our contribution, you know, our, our bit that we can bring, you know, our, we, um, our ecclesiology doesn't even just open us to that, but actually probably leads us in the direction of saying that, that, that um, for want of a better phrase, lay-led or... Um, uh, non-ordained people leading churches should be at the very forefront of whatever we are going to do mm. or at least a big part of our mix um, so it's really interesting to hear you reflecting on that Neil that's um, actually quite encouraging there we go <laughs> uh, the, uh, I, I, just a couple more questions you know you talked earlier this is so I'm, I'm rewinding quite a bit but it was quite early at the beginning but I I kind of want to bring it back in here. You talked about um, one of the reasons for planting churches is not just the church plant you get, but the health it brings to the other churches uh, in the more established within your denomination. Could could you talk a little bit more about that? Because that's always the pushback, right? It's like, oh well, we've got these struggling churches, or we, and actually we think that church planting is going to bring some health. Can you talk about a bit about your commitment to that? And maybe, especially if you have any examples uh, of that, would be really helpful. Yeah. Well, I, I was at a meeting last year, you know, with 
a group a regional grouping of churches in 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 my own denomination you know and a bit of the pushback was oh you guys are sucking up all the the gifted young leaders you know into into this stuff and so there's not ministers for some of the older churches and one of the young guys who's pastoring an older church just piped up and said actually i'm in this denomination because i saw the division for mission and I just thought that's the kind of denomination I want to be a minister in. I don't want to be a church planter, but I want to be in a denomination that's planting churches because mm. that's healthy. And I, I do think that having a, a denominational sense of sort of, yeah, mission really matters, reaching the lost really matters. Mm. That's a compelling thing. Young, yeah. young, you know, young Christians want to live for something bigger than themselves. Yeah. And mm. they want to feel part of a church that's got an energy and a heart for the lost um, I planted Cornerstone in 2014, and I planted from a church called St. Columbus Free Church in the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. And uh, when we started t- talking about planting, it was just with one of the kind of the community groups from St. Columbus, and it was 12 people who lived in Morningside, essentially. We had a small group there, and we started thinking about planting. And at that time, St. Columbus was a church of maybe 120 people. It had been replanted 10 years before. Um, so it's maybe about 120 people. And then as we were preparing to plant, it grew to about 150. And then we took 30 of those people away to start Cornerstone and they were back to 120. But I think within three weeks, they were back to 150. And I'd, I'd taken their tech guy, their admin person, their treasurer. <laughs> you know, I'd taken a lot of their very helpful, gifted people. And just the excitement of planting a church for that congregation was so interesting you know like they all bought into it wow you know we can do something new in the city we can reach a whole new part of the town we can help create new things so i think that that congregation now has planted four churches in the last 10 years and you know it's probably a church of three or four hundred people now so it's grown itself healthily over that time and the church plants have reached another three or four hundred people. So it's just a story of actually if you invest in mission and just seek to do that in a way that's really honoring to God and faithful to the gospel, that God's going to be pleased with that. You know, I think God will show favor, you know, because yeah. it's not like any of us are particularly smart or gifted or incredible. Yeah. It's just we have a very kind God who shows us a lot of favor if we just want to love him and spread his fame. And and it's great, I think, to see in my own denomination now just overall a, a real desire from all parts of the denomination to be involved in church planting. Whether it's a church in the West of Niles that says, well, we're not going to plant a church, but we can give some money and we can support and we can be involved and we can pray and and feel part of the bigger mission. So I think, yeah, it, there's lots of ways we can see the health that it brings. Brilliant. New Christians are amazing, you know, <laughs> sort of reaching new Christians. It's just like brings joy to everyone, doesn't it? And new leaders and new resources and reaching new communities. And one of the great things, you know, like we're not the most diverse denomination in the world and uh one of the great things is that my our church in uh, Warrenside did ended up with a lot of Latino people in it and uh 
that's a culture and a group of people we'd never have reached if we hadn't planted something new. Yeah. But the benefit then of having that new population sort of feeding into our kind of wider system is also really, really good. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Brilliant. Can I ask another story? Yeah. Because um, because this is just really good and uh, and and just exciting and and I'm totally with you that when you have people who've just come to know Jesus for the first time in your church, it just brings something completely different. Uh, it's like reminds everybody else why they follow Jesus as well, doesn't it? But I was just wondering because of who you are, um, what was the last conversation that you had with someone who's not not a believer yet? How how did that go? <laughs> Well, I, li- I live in the bubble of ministry, so it's, uh, I don't have that many of those conversations. Um, we have a guy coming to church recently. Uh, well, he started coming through the pandemic, actually, who's who's not a believer. And uh, I said on Sunday morning a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we're going to start a study on Ruth. And uh, da, 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 da. he comes up to me in the evening and he goes, I never knew there was a Ruth in the Bible. Huh. I thought I, I was trying to think who's Ruth, and the only Ruth I could think about was uh, Ruth Davidson from the Tory Party. And I thought, <laughs> why, why, are talking, why are we talking about Ruth Davidson at church? So, um, so, and then I have a few other people. One of the really amazing things about being in Morningside is that the Royal Edinburgh Hospital is there, mm. and uh, through a chaplain. Uh, a really wonderful chaplain. I was given a lot of opportunity to be involved in pastoral ministry mm-hmm. and care uh, at, at the Royal Ed. And I have some very good friends now through that who mm. are f- sort of working their way, you know, working out what, what, how could faith change my life and who mm-hmm. could Jesus be for me? So, mm-hmm. um, my chat with that one of those guys this week was just a WhatsApp chat and yeah. just about some of his struggles in life and so on. So mm-hmm. amazing, great. It's great. What I mean, what a brilliant example, Neil. I mean, you joked about the ministry bubble, but I mean that is real for all of us, right? Those of us that would have a passion for uh, church planting and mission and evangelism, it's so easy to get sucked into that Christian bubble and mm-hmm. and not end up with those conversations and. It's it's the same cycle that you talked about with the health of churches, right? The the joy of actually having those conversations reminds you of why on earth it is that that we that we believe in the first place. We've got a couple of people in our alpha course just now, just asking the most fabulous questions, and it's really humbling sometimes to go, Joe, you know, I don't know the answer to that. There really isn't, and I, I mean, maybe what I should do is tell him to come talk to Neil. That would be a, <laughs> a solution. Talk to my friend Neil. He knows the answers. I, I, I don't. I can. I can. I can bluff a little bit. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but there's a life to that, and I mean, you're you're a brilliant example of of someone who's living out what you're what you're selling mm-hmm. as well, and and that's uh, it's a fabulous example to all of us that that, that, that that's um, key there. I I wonder we should wrap this up. But I, I, there's one question that's kind of sitting here that I'm I, I'm interested in, and and I know what you said earlier about. When you were telling the story of St. Columbus and saying, you know, it, it really isn't about the people, it's about the kindness of our God. And and, and that's that's true. 
And yet leadership matters, right? And and you know, St Columbus is growing and Derek's done a great job there and, and you've done a great job at Cornerstone and your other folks that have planted out and Haddington and various places are all doing a brilliant job. Um how important is leadership? I guess that's my question when we talk about church planting. Is it really the be-all and end-all of whether a church plant succeeds or fails and how good the leadership is? I'm, I'm never going to say it's the be-all and end-all because obviously, right. you know, it is the work of the Spirit. Yeah. Um, but I think leadership is key and healthy leadership is kind of what we're after, isn't it? And yeah. humble, selfless, generous, happy, funny leaders. And Derek at St. Columbus is like that. Um, you know, he's a very generous leader. He's a very, he, he's somebody who likes to give away power and not mm. hold on to it. He He's somebody who wants other people to succeed more than he will, you know. And those are the kind of leaders, I think, you know, that just see beyond themselves and, and their own ego and their own agendas mm. to think what's the kingdom about and how do we bring forward the cause of Jesus and let that be be what drives us. So I think leadership does really matter. And if we want those beautiful, healthy churches that are have a compelling story and a, and a goodness to them that is attractive to the non-believer, then the kind of leadership cultures we develop hmm. are so important. And, and that then means that who I am as a leader and the culture that I create with my fellow leaders has to be so much about Jesus and our own need as sinners in need of the grace of God and how we live in that. So, yeah, like, mm. we're, we're just longing for God to keep raising up really godly, healthy, humble, joyful leaders. So. That's... Um... That's really helpful, isn't it? And and just uh, something to really pray for and aspire to. Um, I mean, it's just like it's kind of simple. It's being like Jesus, really, isn't it? And gathering a community <laughs> around us that imagine like, that He does. <laughs> but I mean, that's why we have the Holy Spirit to, to enable us to do that. Neil, thanks so much for sharing with us for being really honest. Um, and, Thank you. Yeah, you know, there's really years worth of reflection and and thoughtfulness as well. And in just all you're sharing and yeah we're we're super encouraged by all that uh, the free church of scotland is is doing this is kingdom isn't it and um we want to be serving alongside and together with each other um we just wondered would would you pray for us um yeah that'd be something that you could do that would be amazing Love to. yeah you. great uh father thank you that we get just to sit and talk about the work of your church, about your kingdom, about your heart for lost people, mm-hmm. uh, that you're, you're the God who has come in mission in the person of his son to reach a sad, struggling and broken world. Mm-hmm. And uh, that you gave your son willingly uh, in order that we can find life mm-hmm. and that we can know the beauty of who you are and mm-hmm. the hope mm-hmm. of the coming kingdom. And just thanks for the way that that connects us as believers, for the the trust it creates, for the unity it creates, uh, 
and the joy that we share between us. And we do pray for your church in Scotland in all its different variety and expressions, that you would strengthen the church, that you would uh, call the church to uh, towards your own mission and uh, allow us as your people in Scotland to be really clear in proclaiming Jesus and connecting him to the lives of those who need him so badly. And uh, just thank you for this conversation, Lord, uh, that you would help us to kind of uh, keep learning from each other, mm. uh, keep, keep pointing each other towards good things and towards you. Amen. So, um, Glenn, that was just a great conversation with Neil just now, wasn't it? And, um, yeah, like you said, so life-giving, full of energy and hope and, and strategy, you know, vision. I, I think, for me, that vision thing is, is kind of important. You know, people join when they see vision. I think one of the descriptions of Acts is the bubbling life of the spirit in the church. And there's something just brilliant about that. I think yeah. that you want to join either a church that has that bubbling life of the spirit or a, a movement denomination um, because it's, it's actually you know that God's at work really, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there was so much in there that we could and we probably will dig into again in the future. But, you know, it, there was something about the way Neil spoke about the beauty of the church mm-hmm. that felt almost prophetic to me. Yeah. That sense of um, what are we aiming for here? What, mm-hmm. what, what is the goal in, in our whole family of churches? But I guess in the whole church in Scotland, wh- wh- mm-hmm. whatever our denomination or tribe or network, um, mm. we're aiming for churches that are so beautiful that give you a taste of the kingdom to come that uh that 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 are compelling evidence mm. of the truth of the gospel mm. and uh I, I just thought that was a i mean neil didn't say it as a challenge it was just within the context of his conversation but it feels like a challenge to me it mm. feels like a is is this what we could aspire to church is so beautiful that when people came in they would yes. experience something of the reality of the the kingdom to come and of the of of our good god yeah def- definitely that and and i mean people people were attracted to jesus weren't they they wanted yeah. to be where he was and if you know church is a place where jesus is then then those two things should go together and, and it, it's just so sad isn't it that the church is perceived and rightly so sometimes as gray and mm. you know and um I love that bit in Ephesians that talks about the church displaying the manifold, I think is the old version, or technicolor wisdom of God. It's actually that it it captures the beauty and the color and diversity um, and an O to be like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said, you know, there was loads of strategy and everything in there and, and, and that stuff's important. And we know that most of our listeners are, our church leaders and so things like strategy and and uh vision and how you go about uh actually doing things they they, they really matter but if we lose sight of the fact that the the, the goal mm. is the body of christ looking beautiful and or in in uh, francis chan's language to us it, it's okay to be attractive um that the church should be attractive to the world in the sense of uh, who we are and how we represent mm. Christ and 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 things that's uh, that's fabulous. So mm. um, 
yeah, big thank you to Neil for inspiring us in that direction today. And uh, hopefully there was some stuff in there for everybody that you can take away. Whether you are a church planter or you are um, interested in church planting or indeed you're just interested in the church, uh, I mm -hmm. hope there was something in there for you. If you are a church planter or you're interested in church planting, um, we would love to hear from you. Uh, if you are interested in connecting with our church planting network in the Baptist Union, we would love to have a conversation with you. So you can get in touch with me mm -hmm. through uh, by email, glenn at scottishbaptist.org.uk. Um, and if you're, if you're just exploring what leadership and ministry and mission looks like, uh, then we would love to hear from you too. Mm -hmm. um, we, we're at a point as a network of churches where we, we're deeply committed to seeing people uh, find the ways that God is calling them to lead and to uh, step into that. And so uh, we would love to hear from you uh, if that's your situation. Brilliant. I think that's pretty much this, Glenn, isn't it? For today? Pretty much. There's one other thing, though, Lisa, we must not forget. We've talked about our three Ps ad nauseum, and Neil helped us talk about two of them today, planting oh, and pipeline. True. But uh, our first, and intentionally our first, P is uh, prayer. And uh, yeah. we have a bunch of things coming up over the next little while as we're thinking about uh, gathering people regionally to pray that God mm -hmm. might help us. Uh, see um, increase across our nation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're going to have evenings in cities and regions uh, for worship, encounter, listening to God and prayer. Um, and so um, the first one's pretty soon, December the 1st, actually, uh, up in Aberdeen. And uh, then the 4th of December down in Ayrshire at Saltcoats. And then a few more into January, February, after the Christmas uh, madness has passed. But, and we'd love to see you there because prayer is just foundational to all of this yeah. other stuff, isn't it? Brilliant. So we'd love to have you along at one of those. You can check out a link uh, to the website in the show notes and you'll be able to get more information there. And we will see you back here on the recast soon. Uh, I'm Glenn. Uh, we've had Lisa. We are out. Out.